The Viewpoint on SAFM, Monday to Thursday, 8pm till 10pm. Dr. Danny Mayersfeld, Chief Executive Officer of DNA DNA Lysis. I really don't know how to pronounce it. I've been <laughs> trying. Uh, Danny, how do I say that? D-analysis. D-analysis, okay. D-N-A-L-Y-S-I-S. D-analysis. Anyway, genetics testing has evolved from simply being used to determine paternity. Advances in both understanding and accessibility of genetic testing are giving healthcare professionals and their patients a unique understanding of human biology with new ways to analyze health data. This data can help you determine which diet, lifestyle, and medication are best for your long-term health. Our next guest argues that traditional medical practice often applies the same treatments to all patients with the same disease. It does not take into account genetics and other contributing factors. Now, Danny, that's a good point. Now, do you want to unpack that for us, especially as to what now we can do with that knowledge, that we can't prescribe the same medicine to different people who bring into this medicine very different conditions with different histories and different bodies, frankly? (laughs) Yeah, with pleasure. Um, I mean, in, in essence, what we are, what we're saying is that we are all unique individuals. That we have a huge amount of information now at our disposal around what makes us unique, what makes us individuals. And within the healthcare system, we know that people respond differently to different medications. So, two people presenting with the same symptoms will not necessarily get the same outcome when they're given the same medication. We, the, the genetic variations that we carry determine how we metabolize different drugs in the same way as it determines how we respond to different dietary interventions or different have requirements for different uh, nutrients or supplements. And more and more healthcare is moving to a model of both personalization and prevention. And genetic testing is, is very much at the heart of that move. Now, insofar as it relates to that move, I would imagine this is something which would be helpful to private and public, but certainly it will be accessible more easily or more readily in the private health sector. Are we seeing such moves taking place? And to the extent that that is happening, what are the corresponding clinical outcomes of that? Yeah, we, we certainly are. We're seeing a definite move in this direction. I, you know, something the last, 15 years since I uh, set up the analysis in South Africa, the, the uptake of these types of tests by the health care community, by health professionals, has increased exponentially. There's, there's, there's a much greater awareness of these technologies. There's a much greater demand for these technologies. And I think it's fair to say that demand is driven both by the doctors themselves as well as by a public that is becoming more educated and more aware of the types of, of technologies that are out there. So they're requesting or demanding these tests from their doctors in order to ensure that they get the, the health outcomes that they're looking for. And in terms of the clinical outcomes, is the, the goal is, with regards, for example, to medication, we're looking to eliminate the, the side effects that we all suffer from, from certain medications that we see as part and parcel of, of being in a chronic med that you just have to tolerate the side effects that come with it. And the reality is that that's no longer the case. You can take a chronic medication without the side effects and you can sure, ensure that you get maximum benefit from taking that medication. 
by understanding exactly what your genes are doing and how that they're metabolizing the drug that you're taking. So the idea is better clinical outcomes, quicker time to, to getting the right therapeutic dosage of the drug into the system, and an improved recovery time. Why do I get the sense that when you say the patients are a little more exposed, a little more educated, and therefore demanding more of these things, this would be your higher LSM patient or end user? So I think I think the, the LSM is gradually coming down as the costs become more accessible. You know, the, the tests now start from just over 2,000 rands for a single test. And you, you can decide how many different tests you want across the health spectrum. So if you're looking just for something to manage the chronic medication that you want, then two or two and a half thousand rands for that is not a massive expense when you consider the cost of repeat visits to, to a psychiatrist, for example, to make sure that you eventually get onto the right dose. So the long-term saving is, is definitely there. As the technologies improve and, and costs come down even further, so we will see the tests becoming more more accessible to to a wider market. Um, unfortunately, yes, you're right. At the moment, it it's more within the realm of private health and, and private healthcare at the higher LSM, but that is gradually changing, and, and we've seen the costs come down quite substantially over the years. Here's something which, um, and comment to the extent that you can, I'm not necessarily in awe in any way, rather, trying to discredit the work that your organization does. But there is this ongoing challenge in healthcare of supplier-induced demand. You mentioned the fact that there is a demand, and there probably is, and certainly there is scope for the sort of technology that you have. To the extent that it is supplier-induced demand, more particularly when the end user is not really in a position and scarcely ever is in a position to question the science that is presented by, in this instance, the supplier, if not necessarily the supplier of the medical device, certainly the supplier of the medical advice, and that would be the doctor. How do we ensure that, to the extent that there is that inherent discrepancy or imbalance of information, it's called information asymmetry in your field, how do we address that so that, one, there's a greater uptake, of the service because people would be more aware and would be able to ask more probing questions and specific questions, but also to keep the costs question appropriate to the service that they are getting as opposed to it being inflated because of the inability to question? Yeah, it's a a difficult question. I mean, with regards to the the information asymmetry, the, the key there is education. You know, you need the suppliers, in my case, our lab, you need transparency. We need to be held accountable by the doctors that we talk to. You need to question us around the science. You need to question us around the integrity of the test. You need to demand to see the evidence and make sure that they are happy with the evidence that we provide in order to then offer that test to their patients. So, you know, it's one of the things that will differentiate us as a company because there are companies over the years in various countries in this industry who have pretty much given the whole industry of, of this personalized genetic testing a bad name because they are there to purely commercialize it without really giving any regard to the scientific integrity 
or the healthcare value as a whole. To put it bluntly, they're in it to make a quick buck. And, you know, when I set up the business, and I'm not trying to sound defensive at all, but when I set up the business, I set out specifically to to fill this gap of providing a genuinely um, valuable health tool that was going to improve outcomes. So and let, let's get start, into that. Let's get into that because I think that is important. I just needed to get that out of the way to offer the balanced perspective as to the relationship between p- consumers of healthcare and healthcare products in relation to those who provide these. But why genetic medicine? Why is this important? And to the extent that it is a game changer. Well, if, you, if we stick on the topic, for example, of the prescription medication, it's a bit difficult to get the stats in South Africa. But I'll quote the the US stats, which are likely to be possibly even lower than they are here just because of the reporting. But they say that 5 to 7% of your hospital admissions are as a result of adverse drug effects. And that's people who are given prescription medications who are not overdosing or abusing those drugs, but are taking mm-hmm. those drugs at the recommended dose, and they're ending up in hospital or they're dying from side effects of those drugs. So it's the fourth highest cause of mortality in the U.S., and 5 to 7% of hospital admissions are a result of prescription medications. Now, if we can have a tool at our disposal to preemptively check whether a person will have a to a drug, an adverse reaction, or simply not respond to the medication that they're given, then, you know, sure, we could talk about the cost and being accessible to the vast majority of people, but you can't argue about the, the value that that could provide for the person who would end up in hospital. That's a good point, and perhaps that might even raise other issues. But let, let's assume, I mean, would you say South Africa is higher than the U.S. or less than the U.S. in terms of those percentages? Well, they estimate there's possibly higher in South Africa. What would you attribute that to? <laughs> the, the, I, I don't know. I, I haven't read a, a kind of a convincing argument as to what, what the rationale or what the reason would be, but it's, it's an estimate. You know, unfortunately, the reporting around adverse effects mm-hmm. in South Africa is, is not particularly good. Um, and so even if you assume that it's equivalent to the percent, We're going to take a short break now, but I think I just want to pose this question to you for you to get your head around. Genetic medicine and the responsible and irresponsible use, therefore, I think certain things of this kind, such critical healthcare interventions, of course, need to be treated with caution, not just so much celebrated and received for what they promise to offer. But I think when it comes to something as genetics, we are getting into the science of science and how do we ensure the integrity of these things? So perhaps not necessarily as an indictment against the analysis, but rather what should accompany these sorts of procedures so as to protect the privacy of the individuals, to protect nature and biology as it presents and to use, if you like, this fingerprint, that is one's genes, to come up with responsive medical treatment that is not going to result in the kinds of statistics when our people are forced to go to hospital because the medicine that they have been taking has the sorts of effects that were either not intended or were not foreseen or science was not at an advanced stage as to be able to pick up. It is a convoluted question, but I'd just like your thoughts in relation to that. Please, after the break, Danny. The Viewpoint on SAFM. 
We carry on the conversation with the Chief Executive Officer of D-Analysis, Dr. Danny Mayersfeld, talking to us about the advances of science, particularly the value genetics testing has in relation to coming up with responsive and diet and lifestyle-based medication for one's long-term health. I had asked him quite a heavy question just before we took the ad break. Perhaps I will give you all the time you need to respond to that, Danny. Well, if I, if I got to just the question, you're asking about the responsibility of the supplier in terms of these types of technology. And yes. is that right? Yeah, responsibility of the use of the technology. And then, of course, in ensuring that when we, when we talk about long-term health, these are the things that this contemplates and yeah. how the end user effectively is empowered so that it becomes a journey that the two of you walk as opposed to one person walks. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great question, and I think what what needs to be understood before anything else is is, is that there's no one definition for genetic test. You know, there's a whole host of different types of genetic tests that you get from paternity tests to um, prenatal testing to the type of testing that we're talking about, which is the lifestyle genetic test, and. If we look at the incidence of chronic disease in South Africa, the cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, the vast majority of these are lifestyle-related. Probably, for example, if we take breast cancer, approximately 80% of your breast cancers are spontaneous breast cancers that arise as a combination of poor lifestyle and a whole host of genetic factors thrown in there as well. But it's not the the very high genetic risk that you'd get from, for example, a, a BRCA gene. So the reason I give that background is to, to make the point that ultimately what we're trying to do with these tests is motivate people to change their behavior. What we're looking for with these genetic tests is what we call modifiable risk factors, things that are in our genes, in our, in our DNA code, mm-hmm. where we can't change the code, but what we can do is we can manage the expression of those genes by changing our lifestyle, our diet, our nutrition, we can modify the way in which these genes are expressed. And by pointing out these genetic risk factors, doing the test by itself is not going to change anything. It's what you do with the information. Mm-hmm. So, again, what, what we've done as the analysis is we've always felt that these tests are most valuable and really only valuable in the hands of a skilled clinician who will look at the genetic test in combination with everything else that they know about that patient Mm. sitting there in front of them. So what we've done is we've done training for doctors all over the country. In fact, all over the world, doctors have gone through our training. Doctors aren't allowed to work with our tests unless they've gone through that training process. And we want to make sure that the information in the test is, is going to be valuable to the patient by putting in the hands of a clinician who's well-versed in understanding and interpreting that genetic report. Always mindful of the fact that genetics is just one piece of the puzzle. So, you know, it's not diagnostic. We're not telling a person you are going to Mm, get a cardiovascular disease. We're saying these are certain risk factors, but it's empowering because we're also saying this is what you can do about it. And as soon as they about it that can be small interventions that will motivate that behavior change that then puts the power of health into the hands of the consumer who who then get to take more responsibility for their own health rather than this historical kind of model of sitting back doing what you want to do and then trying to rely on the healthcare system to fix you when you're broken and the reality is our healthcare system in South Africa can't do that 
you know, it's, and healthcare systems all over the world are struggling to do that. Sure. The end user, the consumer, has to start taking more responsibility for their own health. And it's in this relation, does, or am I understanding you correctly, that one doesn't have to wait to not be feeling well? One can actually initiate this Absolutely. genetics testing to understand one's body and so then engage in the lifestyle because you mentioned lifestyle earlier on in your Absolutely. point. Absolutely. The whole, the whole point of these tests is, is to stay healthy. It's not to, to treat you when you're ill. It's to avoid disease altogether. So, you know, it's, it's about prevention and, and sustained health rather than fixing disease. It, it's, 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 you know, it's health care. It's not disease management. Fantastic. Let's leave it there. Certainly is useful content. Of course, South Africa's challenges, final comment from you are that the public health care system is under tremendous pressure and the access to health care remains one of the reasons why the South African society is this unequal society because of the growth uh, because of the great and gross disparities is there a way in which some of these very essential interventions frankly particularly for those who would be consumers of public health care system can access it you know, I'd, I'd very much like to think in the future that, that they will be. In, in some cases, the, the tools are available. It's just finding the will within the public health system to, to make it applicable. And I'll give you an example. The, the type of testing we're talking about around the, the tailored prescription um, and, and drug metabolism, the, the first-line antiretroviral drug, nivirapine, um, a lot of the issues around that drug initially was around compliance because the drug caused certain side effects. And some amazing research was done by a professor out of Zimbabwe who showed that certain individuals with a particular genetic makeup could get by with half that dosage and not suffer any therapeutic um, loss. So they'd get the same therapeutic benefit, but it would eliminate the side effects completely. That type of information would be hugely valuable within the public health space. So, you know, with, with that type of research starting to come out, I do feel that, that there will be a move in that direction where ultimately it will be more cost-effective for the state to fund that single gene test mm-hmm. in order to define a dosage for a drug like that rather than suffer the consequence of people not being compliant with their medication. I think an old adage that essentially speaks to everything that you have said is a stitch in time saves nine. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Danny Mayersfeld. Thank you. Chief Executive Officer, D-Analysis, talking to us on the segment, hashtag Health on Monday. And that, folks, concludes uh, this evening's show. Join us, please, tomorrow, same time, 20 hours, former Constitutional Court Justice Kate O'Regan on the hashtag Tuesday Takeover. It will be interesting.